I want to talk to you guys about our greatest test is God's greatest asset. Now, you've heard a lot of people talk about how there's multiple tests that we go we go through as children of God. And I would say I've heard some people say the greatest test is God's silence, and that might be the case. But I'm going to talk about one of the other greatest tests that we face. And I was thinking and praying about it, and I felt like the Lord dropped this in my spirit, that our greatest test is his greatest asset. And that is actually flaws and weaknesses. That is God's greatest asset that he has, is weak and flawed flesh. And you might say, are you kidding me? Like, flaws, that, that's what we come to the church to be delivered from. That's what God is supposed to get out of us. Well, yes, but the Bible says we're not going to be completely perfected until we go on up to glory. That's when you will be 100% free of your flaws and your weaknesses. But here on earth, you're going to have a battle of dealing with those flaws and weaknesses, and you're going to have a major battle dealing with other people's flaws and weaknesses. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. And um, let's go ahead and dive into it. It was pretty awesome because I, was, I heard Bishop recently talking about something, and it really tied into what God was dealing with me about. And Bishop made this comment. He said that the story of Lazarus, you see how Lazarus is raised from the grave uh, by the supernatural. Jesus speaks the word of faith, and Lazarus comes up, and he, he begins to breathe again. He is resurrected from the dead. But there's two parts to that story Bishop was talking about. He talks about how Lazarus gets raised up and he's made alive. It's supernatural. All it was was a spoken word of faith and God did the entire miracle of him rising again off of his his, uh, slab that he was laid on. But then there was a second piece that needed to happen, Bishop talked about, and that is him being loosed. And the disciples had to loose Lazarus from his bondage, or should you say from his grave cloth, which represents bondage. So what Bishop said, and it it rocked my mind, and I began to look at this, and I'm like, wow, that is so powerful. What he said is that the first part of Lazarus getting off the slab was the supernatural. That's the born-again experience, where man, sure, man has a part in it, but it's really the supernatural that happens. God, by, by baptism, God makes them alive. By them receiving the Holy Ghost, which is a supernatural infilling, they begin to have God's nature inside of them, and they can now be empowered by the Spirit. It's a supernatural manifestation and experience. But the second part is what the believer has to go through for their entire life, and that's the church's job to help them. And that is them being loosed from their baggage, being loosed from their past, and being loosed from their shame. So the disciples had the responsibility of unraveling Lazarus from his baggage. But that is a process of a lifetime. You could call it baggage. You could call it flaws. You could call it weaknesses. You can call it whatever you want. But it's the church trying to help people to get free of their baggage, their flaws, their weaknesses, whatever. But it's really their flaws and weaknesses. They're surrendering to God. It's the church's job to teach them how to surrender that to God and how to give their baggage over. And so I was thinking about that, and that really tied into what I feel to talk to you about today. And what I feel to talk to you about is how our greatest test is our flaws in dealing with other people's flaws. And while it's our greatest test, it's actually God's greatest asset. 
Flaws and weakness is God's greatest asset, and I'll tell you why. Because God needs flawed people, and God needs weak people, and I've got scripture to show you that that's the case. Let's go ahead and and dive into it here, and I'm going to read to you one of the most well-known scriptures about this subject, and that is, um, let me find it here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 through 10. Look what it says. And you've probably heard this a billion times. I think Pastor even mentioned this not long ago. Paul is speaking, and he said, He said unto me, talking about Jesus, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made complete. My strength is made operable in weakness. And most gladly, Paul says, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses, my flaws, my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities or weaknesses and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the world is completely the opposite. The world says, I've got to do everything I can to you to make you strong so you can be successful in this life. When you look at the market and you're trying to make a good investment, you're looking for a strong investment, something that has tremendous potential, something that's going to have strong gains. You're not looking for something weak. You might look for something low, but you're looking for something strong. When you're a when you're a uh, employee or an employer and you're looking for an employee, you're looking for the one who's the smartest, the one who is the quickest at their job, the one who can get, be as efficient as possible, the one who's the strongest. You're looking for the one that can be the strongest and you're looking for that person on paper to be the one that's going to help your bottom line you see the world and when it comes to school you're looking for the brightest the smartest the one who has some of the greatest leadership uh, experiences the world looks for strength while god is looking for weakness the world is looking for somebody who has it all together while god is looking for somebody that has nothing together you see god's way is higher than our ways and god's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The world has it, has it completely twisted or backwards. The way the world does it is not the way that God does it. God does not care if you're the smartest. God does not care if you're the best looking. God does not care if you are the smartest, the, the strongest, or whatever. God does not care if you have the greatest charisma. All God looks for is one thing, and it's across the board, and that is hunger. And he doesn't care how weak you are if you're hungry. Because he can do something with that. I want you to, I want to help you here because there are people who have felt discounted for years because you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am not as smart as A and B. I I am not as good at this task or that task. I, I just, I don't have it all together. I'm not as gifted. I don't sing as good. I'm not as talented. I can't preach like that. I can't do that. And God is saying, you've got it all twisted. You are looking at this through the carnal mind. That is actually the carnal mind that sees things that way. That is a fleshly way to look at it. God gave me something recently that was really powerful. I'm going to share it with you. And this is going to help you in understanding weakness. God spoke to me about two weeks ago and said that compare, or competing is comparing. Because the scripture talks about how he that compares himself amongst himself is not wise. It really is saying he's a fool. 
That when you compare yourself to other people, you're actually living as a fool. Because what you're doing is you are now basing your talents, your abilities, or your potential off of somebody. So you are taking somebody else's life and making that the measuring stick of your life. When this is supposed to be the measuring stick. You, you, if you grew up at Antioch, you know you've heard it a billion times. This is the measuring stick. This is the standard. But when you have your standard according to somebody else's gift or somebody else's ministry or somebody else's finances or somebody else's family, you have just set yourself up for failure. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if you measure yourself to somebody else and in your eyes you perceive that they're better than you, you have just fallen into insecurity. You have. You have just fallen into insecurity and feel, I don't feel good enough, low self-esteem. Because they're here and I'm here. There's the first problem with comparing yourself to somebody when you feel like they're above you. Now watch what happens when you think you're above them. Oh, you feel like you're here and they're there. You have just compared yourself because in your competition you're comparing. And by you feeling like you're here and they're there, you've just fallen into pride. The Bible says, first come, cometh pride. I believe then it says destruction. A haughty spirit, then the fall. If you have put yourself here and somebody else is there in your mind, it's just a matter of time before you fall, probably below them or somewhere else, because God will not let you feel like you're winning. Because in God's kingdom, the only way that you're winning is when you are submitting to his will and his plan for your life, and you have made the word of God your number one priority, and that you are not measuring yourself to other people. That makes you a fool. It makes you wise when you compare yourself to the word. We're supposed to look into the perfect law of liberty. This is your mirror. When you you make this your mirror you're not going to keep making other people be your mirror that you can't either measure up to them or you feel like you've measured above them you either fall into insecurity or you've fallen into pride and it's a it's a very scary thing because what happens is if you're competing with other people brothers and sisters watch this if you're competing with other brothers and sisters then you're trying to take glory because if you're trying to beat them you're trying to take glory. The only reason you compete with somebody is because you're trying to win. If you're trying to win, you're trying to get glory. If you're trying to beat the devil with God's kingdom and submitted to his will, well, he's the one who actually wins. And so he gets the glory. But when you compete with your brothers and sisters, it's because you're trying to take glory. Jesus, I didn't expect to go into that, but I hope that helps you. Competition. And God's, the Bible says we're not supposed to rival against one another. We're supposed to uplift one another. We're supposed to push one another. We're supposed to prefer our brother better than ourselves. We're supposed to love one another. The Bible says, what greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. When we are truly walking in agape love, we are trying to give our friend the benefit of the doubt, make them better. We're trying to lay ourselves our will. Or how about this? This isn't just talking about your life literally but it's talking about your ministry it's talking about your desires laying it down for somebody else that is so critical so back to flaws i had to share that for a second but i want you to understand paul said that when i am weak then i am strong that is so important to know because the world has it completely opposite they think in order to be strong in god's kingdom you got to study your tail off until you got scripture pouring out of your mouth. Now, you do have to study your tail off, but you're not studying your tail off to be strong. You're not, you're not praying to be strong. You're actually praying to die to your flesh. You are studying the word to see how your flesh can die more. That's the way it's supposed to be. When you're young, 
I went through it many times. When you're young in the kingdom of God, you try to pray for hours and hours to prove to God how strong and powerful you are. And then your prayers really haven't done a whole lot because God the whole time is like, no, I'm actually wanting you to yield to my spirit. You don't have to prove anything to me. I want you to know that I know you're weak. That's why I've called you. Look what the scripture says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to it. It says that for after the that in the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's not the world's wisdom that's going to save anybody. We can't be smart enough or have enough intellect to save this world. The way you save the world is by the foolishness of preaching because that's, that's just the way it works because you have to believe in that. Verse uh, 22 says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Now watch this, 24. But unto him or unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Not the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God. Watch this. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God at his weakest is greater, way greater than your greatest strength. That's why you submit your weakness so you can find his strength. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. It tells us right there, and the base things of this world. The base things of this world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yeah, the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That is so powerful. God is saying the reason he can't use people that are extremely smart sometimes, sometimes because we have people that are extremely smart in the kingdom that have submitted their intellect to God. The reason he has a hard time using people that are really rich or really smart or really gifted is because they let those things get in the way and they take the glory. They take the glory. But God said that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why he uses the base things of this world and of this world and the things that are despised hath God chosen. Yeah, the things that are not to make them into something powerful. Why? Because it's a lot easier for them to give God glory. I came from drugs. I came from alcohol. I came from a broken relationship. I came from this. I came from when people start saying that they know they can't take glory because they say, if you knew where I came from, you know I, I couldn't be what I am today. That's what they say because God is getting glory through that life. I'm going to tell you a really powerful story. There was a young man I was preaching. Uh, I believe it was back in uh, probably, I don't even remember, June or it was in uh, August. It was in August of 2019. I was preaching at a church. And there was a young man there. I Actually, it was the coolest thing. I had a vision. Uh, and in the vision, I saw I saw a man preaching and I didn't recognize, or I did recognize the face of the man preaching, but I knew in the vision it didn't represent that actual man. It represented somebody else. But this, uh, this man was preaching at Youth Congress. And when I looked in the vision and I saw in the vision, I started to kind of 
kind of peering up at him, kind of going from down and then looking up. And I started to, the vision went like this over his body. And literally as he was preaching, I saw tattoos from the, from his hand all the way up his arm as a, an, a tattoo sleeve up his, up his neck. And I saw him preaching really powerfully. And the man who was preaching is actually uh, the, the person who is they're at headquarters now and God's using them mightily, but I knew it didn't represent him. It just represented the position. And I saw the person preaching really powerfully and they had tattoos all up. And I'm like, in the, I, I, I kind of came to myself from the vision. I'm like, that man, I, when I looked, I know he doesn't, I've seen him before. He doesn't have tattoos on his neck and his arm. And I kind of just was like, well, whatever. I don't really know what it means, but there's a man that has tattoos that looks like that man. Who knows? Whatever. God's going to use that person powerfully. Well, I forgot about the vision and I was, at uh, this church preaching. And while I was at this church preaching, uh, this young man came up to me that I've been working with and he has a cousin or a friend. And he said, you got to meet my friend or my cousin. I said, okay, cool. And he says, hey man, how you doing? And, he, and he's saying all these things. And, he's, and I said, good. I said, he said, man, I'm so hungry for God. God is doing all these great things in my life. And I just, I just want to be used. And I said, well, that's great. And I could feel the Holy Ghost on me while I was talking to, the, to this young man. And I knew the hand of God was upon him. And my, my, the, the young man I'm working with said, look, look, you got to see this. He, he's come from some, from some things. He says he's actually, he's got tattoos all up his arm and up his sleeve, which doesn't matter. God can use anybody with tattoos. But I said, okay, cool. And I said, show them to me. And he, he pulled up his sleeve. And all of a sudden, God, in that moment, brought that vision back to my mind. And the Holy Ghost came over me so strong. I was like, whoa. I said, this is the young man that I saw a few months ago. And I said to him, I said, You've got tattoos all up and down your arm. He said, yeah. I said, do you have them on your neck? He said, oh, yeah, I do. And he pulled down his neck. And I looked at the young man. I said, the hand of God is on you. And he was like, what? I said, I saw you in a vision. And I said, you are mighty, you are mighty in the spirit. And I said, God is going to use you so powerfully. I said, the hand of God is on you. And you're a preacher. And he was like, and he said, well, I, I try to hide my tattoos. He said, I try to hide them because... It shows my past and I don't want, you know, I don't want people to think of me differently. And I, and I looked at him and something came over me and I said, I want you everywhere you go to show those tattoos off. I want you to roll up your sleeves and show those. I want them to see it on your neck because I want them to see where you came from because your testimony is way greater than mine because you're actually wearing your testimony. You're showing where you came from and that, that past and everything that you went through and everything that you did is going to be a light just by you walking down the road. I have to open my mouth to tell people where I came from. All you got to do is walk down the street for people to, to see where you came from. You see, he saw this as weakness. He saw this as, as, as something that would, would turn him away from a pulpit or from a ministry or turn him, him away from people. And I said, if we ever get to a place where we're so polished that people can't have tattoos when they're preaching to show their past, then we're in trouble. I said, you better show that so people know exactly where you came from and how powerful your testimony is. And that young man had a smile. And my point is that God does not care where you came from. All he cares about is where he's taking you. And he wants people to know the weak places, the despised places, the difficult places that you came from for people to see that on you because your weakness is made strong by the power of the Holy Ghost. When you show that to people, when you talk about it, don't have to hide it. You can share with people where you came from because that will get you on other people's level where they go, you know, you're not this high and mighty thing. You know, you actually have a story and you can, you can relate to me. 
It's a problem in the church when we act like we got no sin. We act like we've never did anything wrong. We act like we've got no past. You cannot relate to one person in the world. If you act like you've never come out of something, they're going to think that you're way greater than them and that you're God yourself, and that's going to push them away. The worst thing we can do is push people away because we act self-righteous and high and mighty. Talk about where God pulled you out of. It doesn't make you weak or some, some horrible person. That's your testimony that you are, clothed with, you are clothed with Christ. You are robed with Christ when you walk down the street. And they can see the difference of where you came from. In Jesus' name. I, I hope that helps somebody. Stop hiding where you came from. That weakness can become strong. It can help somebody see. And I'm going to tell you something right now. God gave me a revelation that many times when you come into the church, God will send, he'll bring you into the church for a time, into a wilderness and kind of work on you and shape you and mold you and love on you and give you revelation and understanding. And then he'll send you right back where you came from. <laughs> Paul was, was persecuting the Christians persecuting the, 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 the Jews who were Christians, the Gentiles who were Christians, and God says, let me save you and send you back. Oh, who's this Paul? He was, he's known to wreak havoc on the church, and now he's going and starting churches because God's, God's way many times is to pull somebody out of the world, get them saved, give them revelation, give them a calling, give them a purpose, and send them back to where they came from to set the other people free. And that's exactly who Moses was. Moses, let me take you out of Egypt let me take you out of Egypt into this wilderness, and then I'm going to send you back to where you came from, but this time with a purpose and a calling. Why are we running from the places that God pulled us out of when God's trying to reach those very people with your testimony where they can see his strength in you where it was a great weakness? One of my greatest weaknesses was school as a kid, and now I'm a full-time campus minister. There's only two in the entire country. Are you kidding me? That was, that was literally one of my greatest weaknesses. And God says, I'm going to take one of your greatest weaknesses and make a calling out of it. What? I'm, I, I've heard Bishop say it, his weakness is writing. And all he, he writes up a storm. He, he's blowing up your email all the time with writings. <laughs> Praise God. I, I mean, you look at these people in the Bible. God pulled them out and sent them back. Peter, you were a Jew that everybody knew. You were a Jew that was known and that was that was the man that fisherman that people liked and they enjoyed being around yeah he was a hothead but he was he was a cool dude let me pull you out of here and deal with you for about three and a half years let me send you right back to the jews to save them and pull them out of darkness that is god's way is that he pulls you out of your sin and sends you back to where you came from to pull more people out of sin jesus name You've got to understand that you can't do that if you're caught up in your weakness because it's when he makes your weakness your strength by his power. It's his, it's his strength making you perfect in your weakness. Jesus' name. I want you to see this in the scripture. It's one of my favorite, favorite scriptures. It's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now we know that we are, uh, the church is Israel. We are now uh, the, the seed, the second, 
whatever. We, you understand that now this is talking about the church. The church is the, the newborn Israel, if you will. But look at verse 7, Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. God did not choose you, Israel, because you were great. There's another scripture where it talks about how Israel rolled up into Egypt during the famine with 70 people. And then they came out more than the stars in the sky and the, the sand on the seashore. They came out, they went in in the 70, with 70 and they came out in millions. God's saying, I didn't choose you or call you because you were more in number than any people. You aren't stronger than any people. But I called you even though you were the fewest of all people. Verse 8. Because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he would have had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeems you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God pulled you out because he loved you, not because you were powerful or you were great. He actually pulled you out while you were weak. And he wants you to understand that that weakness is not meant to just go away. That weakness is meant to be submitted to him so his strength can be made perfect in your weakness. I believe, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. There are some of you that you've never stepped into your ministry. I feel the Holy Ghost on me. I feel like this is a little bit prophetic right here. Some of you have never stepped into your ministry because it is in your weakness that God has a powerful ministry for you and you are holding back. And you won't step into it because you're afraid of, man, I'm going to blow it because this is what I blew in the world. Yeah, I I used to do this in the world and I would always blow it. And God is saying, if you would submit this to me here, I would use it for my kingdom in a strong, powerful way. Some of you have not stepped into the greatness that God has in your life because you're holding on to your weakness and you're scared to expose it and be vulnerable to God. When God is saying, if you would give that to me, I would make you strong supernaturally because it's his grace the supernatural empowerment that makes you strong in him it's not you it's his strength made perfect in your weakness which is his grace operating and working in your life to make you powerful i feel the holy ghost some of you some of you right now you need to you need to begin to talk to god i don't care if it's under your breath or you you raise your hands in your home but you need to repent to God for holding on to that weakness and holding on to those things and not exposing it and making it vulnerable to God so he can make it strong by his grace. Some of you need to repent for that right now and ask God to help you right now in the Holy Ghost. Right now you need to do that because Antioch Central would see some tremendous, powerful things. Some of you feel uh, like one of your greatest weaknesses is going in front of people and you've got a gift to sing. Some of you, you're, you're so scared to talk in front of people and it's a great weakness you think but you can you get revelation like crazy and god is showing you all these things and god needs you to teach bible studies and get in front of people maybe i don't know what it is your gifting is but it might be that god is trying to get that weakness to stir so his grace can move and be a strength in your life that you can never take credit for because only he will get the glory My God, my God, somebody's got to hear me right now. You've got to submit your whole heart. God is not into the business of you getting him, giving him part of your heart. God says, if you will seek for me and search for me with your whole heart, then you'll find me. We're in the business of giving him 50%, 75%. 
90%. God goes, you're not going to find me at 90%. You're not going to find me at 95%. You will find me at 100% when you submit your whole heart to me. That's what God said. So we're trying to trying to give them just this piece, this piece, and God's holding everything back and going, that's not what I asked for. Some of you have been offended with God because you've given him part of yourself and you haven't seen him do a whole lot in your life because he didn't promise to give you all of himself when you gave him part of yourself. He promised to give you all of himself when you gave him all of yourself. Let me tell you what, that's the greatest trade I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never seen a trade like that <laughs> for me to give him my weak, flawed broken vessel and he's going to give me the kingdom it is my pleasure to give you the kingdom he said <laughs> the god who literally fills all time and all space and all eternity is saying if you would just give me yourself your flawed broken self your weakness your strength give me it all and i'll give you everything that i've got are you kidding me what are you holding on to what are you holding back that can compare to the greatness and the glory that he wants to release through you? It's not even comparable, not even close. I, I share this with the young people. It's one of my favorite analogies, I guess you could say, or if I had a, um, I forget what you call that. My mind is blanking, but uh, when you show and tell, what, what do they call that? Somebody help me out. You're, you're probably... Object lesson. Thank you. Somebody posted on there. I'm sure I didn't see it. <laughs> One of my favorite object lessons is God, a person like who represents God, standing in front of somebody and saying, give me $5,000. But God's got his hand behind his back. He says, if you give me $5,000, say $10,000. You give me $10,000, I will give you what I got behind my back. And we go, oh, $10,000, are you kidding me? I can't afford that. Ten God, God's saying, and let's say $10,000 in this moment represents all of you, just for this moment, for this example. God's saying, give me $10,000. Oh, God, I can't, you know, I got this. I, I can't give you all, I can't give you all of me. That's too much, God. You're asking for too much. $10,000 is too much. And God's saying, if you give me $10,000, I'll give you what's behind my back, but I'm not showing it to you until you give me all of you. And as the rich young ruler did, he walked away sad because God asked for everything. And what happens in that moment, in that situation, and God's saying, give me $10,000. Oh, I can't do that, God. This is just not worth it. It's too much God's asking of me. God behind his back has a $1 billion check that he would have exchanged for your dinky little $10,000 compared to that billion-dollar check. Now, I know finances doesn't even compare to what God, the greatness of God in all things, but just in that contrast, that doesn't even compare. Behind his back, he's got a plethora of stuff great things, but he's looking for you to give your heart first, and then he'll give you all of him. It doesn't work the other way. You can't give a piece and say, okay, God, what do you give me now? Give me peace. No. Time and time again, I've seen young men. I've seen great men of God. When they give them their whole self, you don't see behind the scenes what they've given. God gives himself to them. Jesus' name. God did not set his, God did not choose you because you were great in number. He chose you because he loved you, even though you're the fewest of people. Weakness is God's greatest asset. Our weakness is his greatest asset because it's only then that he can, he can be made strong through us. Jesus' name. Just for a minute, I'm not done yet, but if you could just, while you're, I want you to meditate on that and think on that. Just real quick, raise your hands wherever you are. 
and just allow that revelation to get into your spirit. I got some more stuff to say, but allow the Holy Ghost to deal with you about your weakness. I feel it right now. Let God deal with you about your weakness that you're holding back because you're afraid to fail. You're afraid for other people to see you fail. And God is saying, you're worried about failure while I'm trying to make you strong. Come on, raise your hands right now and receive what God is speaking to you because there are people that are holding back on ministries. There are some ushers. There are some Sunday school teachers. There's some youth leaders. There's some, there's some young adult leaders. There's some oikos leaders that God is trying to raise up. There's some pastors, some five-fold ministry leaders that God is trying to raise up in Antioch Central and Antioch Beyond. But you're a holding on to your weakness. And God is saying, give it to me so I can make you strong. Come on, right now, just lift your hands and say, I receive that Jesus. I receive that God. I, I don't want to, I don't want to hold back that weakness anymore. So render your weakness to God and he will give you his strength. And it's not even comparable. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, have mercy, God. Help us, Lord. We repent for holding on to things that we need to just surrender to you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Help us in this moment to realize those things. Bring it to our mind, God, those weaknesses that we have been hiding so that you cannot make us strong. Bring them to the surface, those things we've been hiding so that we can see them and surrender them to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to... I'm still talking about flaws and weaknesses, but I feel to share something else along those lines that many have fallen, trap that many have fallen into. That's why I say it's the greatest test. I did, the Lord did something a little different here. He had me talk about God's greatest asset first. Next, I'm going to talk about our greatest test regarding flaws and weaknesses. Remember that we have an inverse relationship with, between flesh and spirit. John said, I must decrease so he can increase. John 3, verse 30. John said, I must decrease so he can increase. It's uh, an inverse relationship. Inverse relationship means that whatever one does, the other does the opposite. The more that you submit your flesh, the more spirit that can flow. The more flesh you allow in your life, the less spirit that can operate in your life. It's an inverse relationship. So, we have this battle consistently and throughout our entire life where we are trying to battle and subdue our flesh so spirit can more spirit can flow in us. We see all throughout the scripture where God is telling us to fast in our flesh so that we can eat in our spirit. He's telling us to uh, submit the weakness of the flesh so the strength of the spirit can flow. There is an inverse relationship and there are many Examples of that. The flesh must die so the spirit can live. Inverse relationship. That's what you're dealing with. So you don't have to really focus on, oh, I got to get more spirit, more spirit, more spirit. Because if you keep trying to get more spirit without decreasing flesh, you're not going anywhere. If you focus on decreasing flesh, then more spirit is automatically going to flow in your life. There's an inverse relationship. Now, yes, of course, you focus on the spirit, but it's while you're decreasing the flesh. That is God's principle and how it works. You got to understand that while we go into this next subject here, talking about our greatest test being flaws, whether they're our own or others. And I'm going to talk more about others' flaws and how so many people have tripped and it's been a stumbling block to so many. 
it really hurts my heart. It really grieves me, the amount of people all throughout this movement, all throughout this world that have walked away from God because they've seen somebody else's flesh. It's a very sad thing. I want to remind you what Bishop talked about when I heard it the other day, that the whole purpose of the church is to unravel the bondage of the person after they are raised supernaturally from the dead, like Lazarus. He said, loose them, and the disciples came and loosed them. Your walk with God and the others around you, their whole purpose and focus is to be free and to work and surrender those flaws, to surrender those weaknesses to God. But us having flesh and having to kill flesh every single day, and sometimes it gets the best of us, let's be honest. We find ourselves making mistakes. We find others making mistakes. We find people hurting us, wounding us, people saying things they shouldn't say. We see some of the weaknesses that people had in the world. Sometimes they're not on top of it and they're not killing it and surrendering it to God where they surrender their weakness of always having anger and God makes it a strength where he turns it into some tremendous love where people see the difference. Wow, look at the contrast where they used to be so angry. Now God has given them great love, but some days they wake up and they're angry and they don't go to the prayer room and begin to push that flesh down so the spirit can rise. So they come to church and they're angry. They, they're they on a ministry deal or they're, they're in your oikos or whatever and they snap. And we start to see some flaws and some weaknesses come out of people. And we start to think, how in the world could this Lazarus that is raised from the dead, from their sin, say something like that? Because they are still being unraveled till the day they die of their baggage and their flaws and their weakness. I heard it said not long ago, talking about somebody who walked away from God, and the person said to me, they've seen too much. That grieved me. They've seen too much. Talking about they've seen too much flesh. They've seen too many flaws. That really, really grieved me because God uses flawed people. God has raised up some of the most despised, rejected, flawed people this world has ever seen in a David, in a Peter, in a Joseph, in a Jacob, the liar, the cheater, the stealer. And it took a lifetime of getting that deceiver out of Jacob where he could finally become Israel. But I'm going to tell you what, Laban was hurt by Jacob, the one who had the promise, the one who walked with God to an extent and had some type of relationship in the blessing. He deceived Laban, his flesh. His weakness, his flaws came out. He hid his children because he was afraid. His weakness, his, his flaws, afraid of his brother because he thought his past was going to haunt him. These are all the type of things. Abraham has made tremendous. Abraham made mistakes. Bringing on uh, Ishmael's uh, mom, Hagar. Bringing Hagar into the picture while uh, God gave him a promise to have his own seed with Sarah. He was a very flawed individual. He had many flaws. Yet God still raised him up and used him mightily. And he was still the father of many nations. I feel the Holy Ghost and I have a burden on me to help somebody because so many people have walked away from God because they've seen somebody else's flesh and flaws while God raises up us with flaws and mistakes. And sometimes we don't have it in check, but he still forgives us. How many people walked away from God because a leader hurt them? How many people walked away from God because a fellow leader that they worked with hurt them? How many people walked away from God because a saint misjudged them or said something? It is a tragedy 
when people walk away from God because somebody else did something to them. I'm going to tell you something that God gave me. When you stand before the judgment seat, when you stand before judgment and you and you are standing before God and God is judging you of your life, you will not have that person next to you that you can say, they did this to me. You're not going to have that because God only holds you accountable for your own decisions. He doesn't hold you accountable for somebody else's decisions. That person that wronged you, God will deal with them if they don't get it under the blood. That's between them and God. That was their mistake between them and God. But you cannot make somebody else accountable for the mistake they did to you. You are only accountable for the decisions you make to let it go or to harbor it. That's your decision. How many people have walked away from God, walked away from truth, from Jesus Christ himself, the perfect father, because the perfect father uses flawed people, hurt people, that he's still trying to unravel, that he's still trying to, he's trying to get the bondage off of them. He's still trying to, Lazarus is already breathing. Lazarus is already raised from the dead. But Lazarus is still having to work through his past. He's still having to work through his bondage. He's still having to work through the things that were done to him. And we are still having to work through stuff and people, leaders, preachers, oikos leaders, youth pastors, young adult leaders, Sunday school teachers, ushers, saints are still trying to work through things because the sanctification process takes a lifetime. The, the born-again experience of us becoming justified is supernatural and it takes a moment. But the sanctification process takes a lifetime. That's why so many people fell in the wilderness because they got offended with Moses. They saw his flaws. They saw him strike the rock twice. They saw his situation with his wife. They saw that. They saw the. They saw Aaron make the decision with the golden calf. They saw the flaws. They saw the mistakes of the leaders and their fellow people that were complaining around them. They saw the flaws of the people who came out of Egypt, but still had flaws and weaknesses. And they ended up dying in the wilderness because they allowed other people's flaws and weaknesses to dictate their ability to make it to the promised land. I am, I am so grieved and burdened because this is our greatest test, but it's also God's greatest asset. God's greatest asset is for weakness to become strong through his grace and spirit. But while we're looking at people that God is raising up, while God is still trying to perfect people, we see a slip of the tongue. We see a slip of an action. We see them say something they shouldn't say. And we start to say, how could they be a child of God? How could they be a preacher? How could they be an oikos leader? How could they be that talking like that? Because they are human and they are flesh and they are going to make mistakes mistakes, including most definitely myself. I make tremendous mistakes still because I am on the road to sanctification. I'm still on the road, but I'm telling you, we cannot walk away because we see somebody do something they shouldn't do when they are human. And that inverse relationship sometimes gets the best of us where flesh is a little stronger than our spirit at times. I'm going to tell you right now, Antioch Central about 50%, maybe a little less, is leadership. And one of our greatest tests is dealing with leaders' flaws. We have many, many leaders. We probably have more leaders than any other church in the entire movement. I think we do. 
maybe second or first. I don't know, but we have a lot. 40-plus licensed ministers. Oh, Antioch, if there's any place where I should see perfection, it's at Antioch. Give me a break. What you see more than anything is people that came from some dark stuff that God's hand is mightily on, but they still got flesh. Oh, if there's any place I shouldn't see people failing, if I shouldn't see people making a mistake, it's going to be here. If you're going to see some, some of the greatest mistakes sometimes can be at the places where God is moving the mightiest sometimes. You've got to understand that. The Bible says, Jesus. The Bible says, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. His eyes are in all places at all times. The Bible says that Satan walked to and fro because he is not he is not eternal. Omni, he's not excuse me. He's not omnipresent. Can't be in all places at all times. But God can, so his eyes see everything. But Satan walked to and fro, looking to see who he can slander, looking to see who he can. Uh, reveal other people's weaknesses too and say, see? The, the Bible talks about how he wears out the saints of the Most High, the uh, accusations. What do you think Satan is accusing us of, or accusing others of, or accusing our leaders of? Weakness, flaws, the very thing that God is looking. I, this is a revelation right here. God is looking. Whew, I feel the Holy Ghost. God is looking to show himself strong in somebody who is allowing to submit their weakness and give their heart to God and be made perfect while Satan is walking to and fro to see who he can slander that who they can reveal their weakness to and other people's weakness to. Satan's objective is to reveal weakness to slander. God's objective is to go to and fro with his eyes to see who he can make their weakness strong. And that is the battle. And when you don't surrender your weakness to God for them to be strong, you're probably going to be listening to the slanderer, the voice of the adversary that is speaking lies and showing you other people's flaws and weaknesses. God walks, or excuse me, God looks to and fro, looking to see where's their weakness. Where is there somebody who's greatly flawed, but whose heart, hunger, is toward me that I can show myself strong in. Satan's going, where are the people I can walk to and fro to prove to God that they don't really love him? They just want his stuff and that they see somebody else's flaws, they're going to get offended. And I'm going to slander them and slander the people to them. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he wears out the saints of the Most High day and night. The lying spirit tries to set you against yourself and your own flaws. You're not good enough. It's condemnation. You can never be anything. That's what he's walking to and fro to do. And when you begin to defeat that battle, watch this. When you defeat the battle of condemnation within, the devil begins to take the condemnation without. And he starts to say, oh, look, you, they, they're called a preacher. They're called an oikos leader. They're called that, and they're doing that. If he can't get you to condemn yourself because you've, you've beaten that thing and you've gotten past that, he surely, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, will try to find somebody else to slander you to or to get condemn to you to try to get you to slip up and to fail. That's a revelation somebody needs to hear right now. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 19 through 25, we see the three sons of Noah who get off the boat with their father 
And listen to this, Genesis chapter 9, 19 through 25. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. But before that happened, and Noah began to be a husbandman, a vine dresser, if you will. He wanted to plant a vineyard. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, and he was drunken, (laughs) and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backwards. Notice they went backwards. They didn't even look at the nakedness. And uh, they laid it on their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward. And they saw, it says that twice, and they saw not that their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke... From his wine, his drunken state, he knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be unto his brethren. Right here is one of the greatest examples of seeing another person's flaws, especially a leader's nakedness or flaws. I mean, the brother, uh, the Bible says he was perfect in his heart, meaning he was complete. He was right with God. He was righteous. And God says, okay, I can use this man to put on a boat on that vessel and bring other people that are willing to submit to my plan. They get on the boat and I'm going to bring the rain down, but I'm going to use him to be the man for 120 years to preach righteousness to all the other people. And he's going to build the boat and they get on there. The first thing the righteous man does, the perfect in his heart man does complete in his heart. The first thing he does, the brother begins to plant a vineyard. Now, I don't know if, his, uh, you know, tolerance level. I don't know if his uh, ability to, <laughs> it, it was a little bit uh, low because, or high or whatever, because of the fact that he hadn't drank any wine in a long time. But regardless, the, the brother got hammered. He got drunk and he's laying there and he's naked and they see his flaws. They see his weakness. They see his nakedness, which Old Testament principle relates to New Testament uh, what happened in the New, in the Old Testament naturally happens to us in the New Testament spiritually. They saw his flaws, his nakedness. And two of the brothers were wise enough to know this is our father. This is our leader. While he's made a big mistake, we're not going to tell anybody. We're going to cover it. We're going to hide it. The Bible talks about how perfect, how, how true love covers sins. It covers a multitude of sins. Love covers they showed love and covered the, the leader, their father's flaws. But the younger brother, who might have just been not as so wise, not many life experiences, I don't know, he shows up and he starts talking about it. He uncovers, he, he shares, he says, oh, I see the flaws, I see. And he began to talk about it with other people. That's not what you're supposed to do. And the Bible says he was cursed. It is so important that when you see somebody that is your elder, somebody has responsibility, a leader, whatever, you don't go exposing their nakedness, their flaws, their weaknesses, because it brings a curse upon you. The Bible also, I wanted to talk about three specific examples of flawed failure, meaning people that could not, three examples that had tremendous flaws uh, that they couldn't handle it. And you hear this before. If you ever read the book, um, The Tale of Three Kings, I highly recommend it. You need to read it. It talks about uh, King David dealing with the leader's flaw and how he was trying to be killed by Saul. 
But then it also talks about how his follower had a great flaw, Absalom, his son, who tried to rebel against him. And it talks about how David navigated that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I want to go into these three specific examples. And David dealt so graciously with Saul's flaws. Saul became jealous of David. He began to cast spears at David while David was ministering to Saul. And you know the story how they said David's or Saul's killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So there was there was this uh, contrast or whatever of them talking about how David did more than Saul, which we know and we understand. Whenever the next generation comes up, they're always going to be doing double. They're always going to be doing more. That's just that's how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom works where the next generation should be seeing a double portion, should be seeing greater. But Saul couldn't handle that. So Saul hated David. He tried to kill David by sending him to war. Uh, he lied to him about the woman that he was going to marry. He didn't give him his daughter when he promised him his daughter. He threw spears at his head. He got an entire infantry of all of Israel's soldiers to go chasing after David. And David said, what am I, a dog that you're trying to chase me down when you've got so many other things to worry about? But you see, David passed this this lesson, this test, the greatest test we see in David's life was being able to handle and respect his leader even when his leader was trying to kill him. We've got 50-some percent, or maybe a little less, in Antioch Central that are leadership. There's a lot of people in leadership. There's a lot of ways for us, including myself especially, to make a mistake. And I've got flaws. i got weaknesses. i got plenty. And I'm going to make them. Don't walk away because you see my flesh one day. Don't walk away from him. No, I'm flawed, very flawed. David understood Saul was flawed. David understood that Saul uh, had some issues that he never worked through. And David still was willing to not walk away from God for that. It would have been easy for David to say, you know what, forget this. I don't want, I don't want this. But David had a promise. David had a future. David knew from walking with God and his relationship with God while, while being on the backside of the desert or in the wilderness with the sheep, he learned God's still small voice that he knew God was there with him even though his father figure, his, 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 his uh, whatever, was chasing him and trying to kill him. And David had to overcome that test, and he did. He overcame that. So the first example of a flawed Failure, but in this situation, David overcame it, was David and Saul, the leader to the follower. You see the same situation with Joab, David's commander-in-chief, and David. Joab would be equivalent to leader-to-leader, peer-to-peer. Now, I guess you could say David was still his leader, but they worked very close in ministry together. Joab saw a lot, as I've heard some people say when they leave the kingdom or the church. Joab, Joab saw a lot. Joab saw David number Israel twice. David had a lot of flaws, believe it or not. He had many, many flaws because every single person has flaws and weaknesses. Joab saw David rise up and number Israel, which was a great sin because it was David taking glory for his military. He was not supposed to number Israel, count them. But he told Joab, his commander-in-chief, go and number Israel. And Joab said, but don't you know this is a great sin? And, and David said, do it. And there's another scripture, I believe it's in Chronicles, where, where it says that Satan rose up to provoke David, which we know that Dave, we don't, we, Satan probably didn't literally rise up and, and go face to face with him, but, Dave, but Satan rose up and influenced him in his heart to take glory. 
and 70,000 people died because of one of those times. And Joab, being the leader, walking with David, basically his right-hand man, watched David have 70,000 men and people die because of, because of David's flaw to take glory. That'd be tough, very tough. And Joab dealt with that situation and had to deal with seeing David's weakness right in front of his face. Joab was the one who received the letter from David when he said, put Uriah on the front lines, Bathsheba's husband. Put him on the front lines. Put him as close to the battle as possible to kill him. Joab knew exactly what David was doing. And he literally took that letter and had to make the difficult decision You might not know this, but Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Joab probably knew Uriah pretty well. Uriah was in the list of the 37 to 39 mighty men. Uriah was close to David. He wasn't just some dinky little soldier in the background. He was one of David's most loyal people. And because of David's flesh and because of David's lust, he was willing to sacrifice a loyal brother to get his wife. And Joab watched the whole thing and had to partake in it. Joab saw some serious flaws, and Joab did that, got the letter, and allowed him to be killed. Now watch this. The city they were trying to take at the time, this is in 2 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 11, I believe, uh, maybe 2 Samuel chapter 12. You see Joab take the city when Uriah died, and Joab still had some respect for David and still loved David, even though he saw these two horrible things, these horrible flaws. He actually took Rabbah and he, he messaged David and said, you better come to the city. Even though he, he, he got Bathsheba pregnant and had this horrible situation, Joab says, you need to come and take the city because if, if you don't come take it, they're going to give me the glory. And so David came, they put the crown on his head. Joab still loved David, respected David, even though he saw these terrible flaws. And Joab did a good job for a while, but there came a moment where it got the best of him. You see where Joab actually watched David's family a mess. He saw Absalom kill uh, one of his brothers because one of his brothers slept with his sister. And he saw David not even rebuke. He s- <laughs> Joab literally watched this absolute mess. And the Bible says, point blank, David never, uh, David never corrected his children. I'll tell you why. I know why he didn't. But the Bible says that David never corrected his children. So Joab is watching this absolute mess in the palace, his right-hand man, and going, this is a mess. God's man, the vessel that God has chosen, the conduit to be the, the man of the hour for Israel, is got a mess on his hands. And Joab is, what starts to happen is Joab's heart, he stops dealing with all the flaws after a little while and starts having an offense begin to build in his heart. And the reason that David, this is a side note, but the reason that David did not deal with his sons is because every father figure in David's life was horrible to him. His, his natural father made him the run of the family, put him in the field. David was pushed to the side and rejected. Then he gets a chance. He kills Goliath, and now he's got a new father, if you will, Saul, father-in-law, father figure. Then Saul's throwing spears at him. David had a horrible track record of fathers in his life, and he never completely healed from it. So he was all the way on this extreme dealing with horrible father figures. So because of that, he went all the way to this extreme and never corrected his sons because he wanted to be a father that never let his sons down. That's very dangerous. That means he didn't fully heal. 
from all of that. And you need to make sure that no matter what you've had in your life, you don't go fully to the other extreme because it will produce a mess like David had on his hands with his brothers. So Joab had that. So Joab's heart begins to struggle with David. And you see it where he begins to confront David. And one of the biggest issues that we see with Joab, his right-hand man, and David, and seeing his flaws is Joab is leading the battle against Absalom, David's son, who rises up against David, a follower and son, uh, could be a possible king, but he takes it on his own accord and on his own hands to go and rebel against his own father. And David has a horrible situation on his hands. And Joab is the one that leads the battle to defeat Absalom and get the kingdom back to David. And Joab is loyal and he's helping David and he's, he's there for David. And then when Absalom got killed and they won the battle and David got Jerusalem back, David was weeping in his, in his home, weeping in his chamber. And Joab had enough. Joab said, Joab in his heart had seen too many flaws and he did not get past the last few offenses and flaws. They were working together. Joab said, if you don't go out and congratulate the troops and all of Israel for what we've done for you, I don't want anything to do with you. He got in the leader's face and said, I'm sick of your, I'm sick of your nonsense. I just, myself and all these troops put our life on the line for you. And you're going to sit here and weep about the man that was trying to steal the kingdom from you? Well, obviously he was a father, so he was having a hard time. But regardless, to, in Job's eyes, it was a flaw, a major flaw. And about from that day forward, he had enough of David and never got through his offense. And Joab got mad at David and said that. Well, David finally goes out and congratulates them. And there was about some, there was some animosity from that day forward. And if you keep reading the story, Joab actually got to a place where he uh, rejected what King David had deemed Solomon as the new king. And Joab was still the commander-in-chief. Then he gets replaced by another man. I believe his name was Amasa or something. He gets replaced, and after he gets replaced, he's had enough, and he's sick of his this man that he's seen all these flaws, and he begins to start a rebellion to raise up one of David's other sons to be king. And so Solomon actually kills Joab because he disobeyed his father's uh, request, and, and Joab killed somebody, and it's this whole mess. But what you see right here is Joab did not deal with his leader's flaws. He did for a while, or his... The person he was working with in ministry. You might have oikos leaders, you might have ministers or leaders, or even people you work with in, in, in smaller groups. You've got to understand they're greatly, all of us are greatly flawed. And lastly, we see David, as I've already said, dealing with the flaw of a follower rising up and rebelling against him. You see, I brought up three different perspectives of us having to work through flaws, and it doesn't leave anything out. David had to work with his leader, hating his guts and his leader's flaws, uh, his king, his father-in-law, dodging his, dodging his spears. David had to deal with that. Then Joab had to deal with his right-hand man, or him being the right-hand man and dealing with looking at his leader, who he worked so closely with, his flaws, but he didn't, he didn't. Uh, survive it. And then lastly, you're a leader or a minister or a oikos leader or a youth leader or whatever. You're going to have people under you that you're responsible for that will rise up against you at times. And you've got to learn how to love and how to let love cover their flaws and cover their wounds that they have not 
yet gotten past because usually I, you can mark it down just about every time somebody rises up and you see something come out, a major flaw or a major uh, just mistake, you can probably dr- trace it back to a wound that they never got healed of. Some of you have wounds from parents that you haven't dealt with. You got wounds from father figures that you haven't dealt with. You got wounds from other leaders, pastors, other churches that you haven't dealt with. Whatever it is that you've been wounded by, you've got to let God heal you or it's going to end up hurting you in the long run. And so we are in a church, wherever church you are from, right now I'm talking to Central, but I believe there's probably other people seeing this too from other, whatever, wherever you're from. God is still using the church to unravel your weaknesses, unravel your flaws, unravel your baggage, unravel your shame. And in that process, you're going to hurt people. and You're going to have major flaws, wounds that are left in people's life. Don't make the mistake that Joab made. Don't make the mistake that Absalom made. Don't make the mistake that Saul made. And, and, and make the decision that David did to overcome all those things, even though Joab, unfortunately, didn't overcome his fellow leader, his flaws and mistakes. I have such a burden for you to understand. It is so critical for you to get through this. And I'm going to say this again. You are not going to stand in judgment with the people next to you that hurt you. You're not. You're going to stand in judgment with you, the Word, and God. And he's going to say, did you line up with this? Did you forgive? Oh, well, you don't understand what they did to me. They're flawed. He's going to say they're flawed. They're human. They're going to hurt you. They're going to be weak. They're going to be, or they're going to wrong you. You can't use that as an excuse. You can only take what the word says, and the word says if you don't forgive them, I cannot forgive you. Nothing you're holding on to is worth it because God uses flawed people. God saves flawed people, weak people is his forte. He's very fond of people that are broken. So I'm going to say this. If you are in the church, whether you're a saint, whether you're a leader, whoever you are, and you discount people because of their flaws and because of their weaknesses, you have just made God mad because God is looking for those people with a hunger that he can raise up. I I, I just felt this the other, a little while ago, and I've been thinking about it. You know what I've noticed in, in the church, and I'm talking about from across the board, I've worked in a lot of different ministries over the last 11 or so years. I, what I've learned is that God usually, the people that get raised up are usually the people that you don't expect. <laughs> it's usually the hungry that are overlooked, the hungry that were despised, the hungry that are weird, the hungry that are unpopular, that God raises up because all God needs is a weak vessel that's willing to yield, him, yield themselves to God so God can get glory out of them. I've seen it countless times. Oh, that person's going to be used of God. That person's going to be powerful. That person, because they got gifts. And I've seen the people that were so not gifted, so weak, so broken, blow right past those people because God doesn't care how gifted you are if you don't submit that gift to him. God doesn't care how smart you are if you don't submit that intelligence to him. All God cares about is hunger. He doesn't care how broken, where you came from, what your last name is. All God cares about is, are you going to submit your weakness and your flaws to me? And I'll make you strong by my grace. That is what God is looking for. Our greatest test is God's greatest asset. Don't forget that the next time you discount yourself for ministry or you discount yourself 
when looking uh, at ways that God can use you. The next time you discount somebody else, we need to break that spirit that tries to come against the church of the living God that discounts people because they're weird or they're broken. Who cares? If they're hungry, let God raise them up. David was so overlooked, so despised, so hated, but God made a powerful, great man of God because he was a man after God's own heart. God didn't care that he was so rejected. God said, I can use that. I can use him. And his brother's like, are you kidding me? I'm the warrior. I'm the man. You know, I'm the one that you should be using. I'm the firstborn son. God goes, nah, everybody thinks you should be the man, but you're not hungry like your brother is. God's looking for hunger. God's looking to raise somebody up that has got hunger. He doesn't care where they come from. They can barely put two words together. That was Moses' problem, and God still used him mightily and made the very thing that he was so weak in to be the very thing that he used him in and sent him back where he came from to do it. I'm going to close with this. Not many noble, not many mighty are called, but he takes the weak, he takes the flawed, and uses them greatly for his glory. Wherever you came from, whatever your weakness is, whatever, whoever you are, no matter what you've done in your life, give it to him. Surrender it to him. Stop hiding. Maybe, maybe your ministry in your past, I've never thought about this. Maybe it's a talent that you're hiding. Maybe part of your ministry is the weakness. Maybe, you're, maybe the talents that he's given to you in your life is the very things that are supposed to be the grace to make you strong in your weakness, but you're hiding it. Because you don't want anyone to know how weak you are. You don't want anyone to know how flawed you are. You don't want anyone to know where you came from. God's saying, take those things that I've given you, my grace and my anointing, and do something with it. Be used. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity for us to be here together. If you could just raise your hands and receive this word. Let the seed that has been planted to find a resting place in your heart. I'm begging you right now in the Holy Ghost, begging you in the Holy Ghost, Submit your weaknesses to God and stop giving him part of yourself and give him all of yourself. Lord, right now, by the authority of your word and by the power that's in the name of Jesus, you did not call us, God, because we are great nation. We are greater. We are more powerful than the others, even though we were the fewest and sometimes the weakest of the others. But you have called us because you loved us. And if we have a hunger towards you, God, you're going to use it for your glory You are going to raise us up in ways that we could never imagine. But we've got to stop thinking with a carnal mind that looks at ourselves and says, maybe God will use me this way or that way because that's my strength. And you're going, I actually want to use you the opposite. I want to use you in your weakness because my strength is going to get glory out of it. I'm going to get grace to flow in their life. Lord, I pray right now by the authority of your word and by the power that's in the name of Jesus, that you would take this word and that you would cover this word, that you would plant it in their heart, cover the seed, water the seed, and I bind every foul of the air of condemnation that would come and try to turn them against themselves and condemn them for their self-esteem and weakness and all those other things. And I come against the voice of condemnation that would speak against them for the other people that they work in ministry with or they are following. I come against that in the name of Jesus, the voice of condemnation condemnation that is lying to us and trying to get us to fall and to fail and not be used in your kingdom. I take authority. I bind it in the name of Jesus Christ, and I loose the revelation and authority of the only saving name upon our spirits right now in the name of Jesus, that we would walk in your perfect law of liberty and allow that to be our mirror and not other people. 
Help us to submit to your grace so that your strength can be made perfect in our weakness and help us to pass the greatest test that you have released to your people because it's your greatest asset and the enemy always tries to flip it to use it against us even though it's your greatest asset and strength. In Jesus' name I pray. I thank you for the flesh that you've raised up in this body. I thank you for the weaknesses that you have brought here and I know you're going to make them strong. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. I give you all the glory and I give you all the praise. And I thank you for what you've done on this stream. And I pray that we would be forever changed by this word and we'd remember what has been spoken. That we'd start surrendering our weaknesses to you and giving up you our whole heart. In Jesus' name. I love all of you and I thank you for listening. And I encourage you, submit that to God and watch what he will do in your life. There's no telling. God bless you. Allow the Lord to be strong 